Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2021 MLB postseason. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 32. Right now, me and Alex are recording. It's November 2nd, about 9.40 this Tuesday night, and we are about one hour past from the Braves hoisting the Commissioner's Trophy and taking the World Series for the 2021 season. Congrats, Braves. It is a, uh, it, it was a fun and kind of just insane postseason the ups and the downs from some of these teams um and just the fight that the Braves had in this last month I would even say the last two and a half months um Alex you and I we both did our all-star break half season reviews I think me and you definitely agree that the Braves were a team that was very should should be very concerned no Acuna no Azuna, Azuna losing kind of a lot of key pieces and I mean I got to give a lot of credit to this Braves GM. He put the right people on this team, on the roster, in the lineup. Snicker, of course, being in charge of batting everybody where they need to bat. But wow, I mean, what a front office job by the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, you cut, you cut straight to almost my biggest takeaway from the World Series. A lot of people might point to, oh, you know, that Braves lineup really stepped up at the right time. Or some people might point to, oh, you know, those pitchers were clutch at the right moments in the bullpen or the rotation. But my biggest number one takeaway was Alex Anthopoulos, uh, general manager, the way that he pretty much found pieces that he believed were almost diamonds in the rough. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are kind of posting in hindsight um, after he got hot. But a guy like Jorge Soler actually had some very good underlying stats in the first half, even though Travis, he finished the season with a negative 0.4 baseball reference war because wow. he was just one of the worst players in baseball <laughs> in the first half of the season with the Royals. He really wow. he was batting below 200. He's pop well, he wasn't he wasn't squaring up. It just wasn't going his way. But um, in reality, looking at some of the stats, a lot of that was just kind of some bad luck. He really got hot at the absolute perfect time, and now Definitely. he's the World Series MVP. He gets a car, and he gets uh, a lot of street cred. So especially and and actually coming off of the whole. Um, COVID, you know, on the restricted list for the NLCS, we really wondered what he would bring to the table. We, I think we all knew that the Braves outfield was not going to be touched. Duvall, Peterson, and Rosario were going to be the core outfielders. And of course, Soler would come in for the DH spot in the AL ballparks. But from game one, he stepped it up and hit a moonshot. First at bat, crazy leadoff home run to start game one. Set the tone. Exactly, exactly. But you know, one thing I go back to with the whole entire playoffs with the Braves you know, for me, the NLDS for the Braves, they don't give out an MVP in the NLDS, but the NLDS MVP was almost, uh, in a sense, Jock Peterson having two home runs. One home run was kind of a meaningless home run. I believe it was in game one. And then the other home run was game three, which was a three-run shot. And they ended up winning that ball game 3 nothing from that home run from Peterson. But I feel like he was a big player in that NLDS. 
NLCS, it's Eddie Rosario. Of course, the NLCS MVP had a just monster series as he did against the Dodgers. And then, of course, the World Series MVP, Jorge Soler. So, again, going back to the Braves' GM, those are three pieces you got at the trade deadline. Yeah. And those are three pieces that you Charles, almost... Three pieces you got at the deadline for not that much in return. <laughs> for nothing. A couple, a couple small prospects. Do, do you know who was traded for Eddie Rosario? No clue. Pablo Sandoval. Who was not wow. playing? Who was not playing hardly wow. at all? He was like he was a a, <laughs> a, a rare pinch hit. I, I'm not sure. That's a nice fact. I'm not yeah. sure, but I don't think the Indians even used him. So wow. that kind of goes to show you, um, the pieces were picked up for very small prospects or Pablo Sandoval, and then also not not, 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 not that much money. Payroll did not increase yeah. that much in the second half. Very for, interesting. For the Braves. Very interesting. But like I said, I think we when we were talking on the stretch for the end of the season, the Braves pretty much recreated Ronald Acuna and if not Azuna. They got these four guys, and pretty, they just pretty much put them out in the outfield. Getting Duvall back from what, what he was last year's team was, of course, was huge. Peterson, Rosario, Soler, really awesome to see. And then, of course, that core infield group. Riley having a great year. Dansby having an okay year, but good power this year. Ozzie Albies having a great year. And, of course, Freddie Freeman just having a routine, great uh, first base season for the Braves. And then, of course, the pitching staff. You have Charlie Morton, you have Max Fried, and you have Ian Anderson just doing great job. Great job. That three-headed monster really reminds me of honestly that Maddox Glavin Schmoltz uh, three-headed monster back in the '90s. So interesting to see how this kind of progresses in the upcoming seasons as we kind of almost have a like almost a flashback team from what that team was in the '90s. Um, and we all know Braves were somewhat of that team of the '90s as well as the Yankees. But um, Alex, I mean. This series went six games. I know me and you both thought this game, this series would go five games. That's right. Um, different, of course, outcomes with winners. Um, but I mean, man, you you just have to look at it all, and you have to say that Braves pitching staff was unbelievable, top to bottom, starting rotation all the way down to the bullpen. What they did to the to the Astros offense was just unbelievable. Uh, honestly, yeah, I think that the Astros. I I wish you know. I, the game six uh, stats are not up yet, of course. The game just ended an hour ago. But I, I really love to take a look at, you know, what are some of the things that worked against the Astros because um, they're a lineup that were not really able to get shut down by any of their teams um, throughout the regular season and the most of the postseason. But in the World Series, they ran cold besides game five. Um, so, you know, obviously hats off go to the Braves. Um, I think it was some pretty good uh, management of the rotation in the bullpen. Also, the um, the Braves were fortunate enough to actually have uh, three starters. Obviously, Morton, got after his first start, got hurt about halfway through, but they were the only team that, for most of the postseason, had like their full rotation, almost somewhat uh, injury-free, which was just not the case yep. for you know McCullers going down. Obviously, Scherzer had to miss a start because his dead arm. Like yep. A lot of these teams uh, ran into problems, and the Braves proved to be durable in terms of their pitching. Their bullpen was durable. Uh, Matzik and Minter both put up lots of innings, high pitch counts. Very Minter well. was yeah. a workhorse in game one once, uh, of course, Morton had uh, you know, a fractured leg and still somehow got a couple strikeouts, which was just you know hard to believe, but he got it done. Stepped up in big time that one. But yeah, the fact that Minter and Matzik became workhorses, the fact that Will Smith somehow... Travis, I mean, I look at his regular season numbers, and I'm honestly not that impressed. No, but I know. You yeah. don't allow any runs in the postseason at all. That just kind of tells you that... You know, in the big moments, 
he didn't let anyone score. And that's all you can ask for a pitcher. So even if some innings didn't look pretty or he gave up some hits or some walks or here and there, it does not matter when you're hosting the trophy at the end of the season. So hats off to, you know, all, you know, top to bottom, the Braves, uh, you know, they they pretty much proved what they're made of and they earned it this year. Exactly. And, and even going back to all six games, you know, game one and game six, I really felt that the Braves won those with an exclamation point. You know, I think they jumped on top five, nothing or six, nothing in game one. Um, and then of course, Morton went down, but you felt that their bullpen and their entire staff was going to get them through to win the game. And they did, they won six, two. And then of course, game six here, uh, you know, Max Freed, a kind of a shaky start to the to the game. I mean, he allowed the Altuve base hit to get on, and then of course Brantley, a weird play with with Brantley and um, Brantley stepping on Freed's ankle and not getting the out at first. And you're wondering, oh God, here we go! Like Freed's just going to have another game too, where the Astros are going to jump on top. Um, and offense will of course keep on going, but got out of the inning with no runs, and then of course after that was absolutely insane and really almost had a Tom Glavin esque game uh in game i believe is game six of the 1995 world series they really compared those two starts both lefties of course uh and really really a a really perfect game for max free but you know looking back at game three and game four both of those the braves won i really feel the braves just kind of almost like tiptoed in those games they win game three two nothing that's the game with the whole no hitter thing the whole it wasn't it was a no hitter but it was a very bad no it was it was an ugly no, not the whole game, but not the, the whole game. But the, Ian Anderson start, and everyone five, was always five, wondering. five no hit uh, innings, but I think three walks and a hit by pitch, only like four strikeouts. Like you know, they, they were putting the ball in play. You know, I think there was one play where Duval made some sort of crazy diving catch on a liner down on a, like a hard hit ball down the line. Like it was really like a defensive yep. effort as well as you know some balls. You know, sometimes Travis. It's a seven-game series. Some balls are going to get hit right to guys, exactly. and you take those. You exactly. take those every day. Exactly, so. exactly. And that game, game three really showed to be that way. And then, of course, game four. Astros get a huge game from Jose Altuve. Uh, and then, of course, the big hits. Dansby Swanson, Jorge Soler, and then Eddie, so- Eddie Rosario putting his glove up literally right in the same track as Jose Altuve's line drive to the wall. Um it just felt like game four, everything was going right for the Braves and everything was going wrong for the Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of take me through that series in Atlanta as we saw the series go 1-1, head to Atlanta. So then you kind of look at it as a, okay, it's a five-game series now. Yeah, the the, the way you kind of broke that down, 3-4 almost in hindsight is what decided the series. Obviously, game five, the Astros woke up for you know about half a game there where they just put on an onslaught of runs. But besides that stretch, um, Atlanta, they just couldn't get anything going really. Um, Altuve, you mentioned, had that deep that deep shot um, to the warning track that Rosario was able to track down. Travis, I think all of us watching that live, we just did not think there was any chance he was going to glove that. Not at all. Um, just the nature of, of all the ball was pretty smoked, and um, you know, I actually saw a stat that said that that ball went farther than Soler's home run, which happened. I was the, just going to read the, that ha- the, ha- the happening before. Which you know that's just that's just the way it goes. Soler yeah. snuck, snuck, he snuck it over the corner, and Altuve was a bit to the right, uh, warning track shot got grabbed, and that really almost was a nail in the coffin for the series. In hindsight, obviously at the time, Astros probably had plenty of hope. But Travis, there was only two home runs hit by the Astros in the entire World Series, both were by Jose Altuve. So that really kind of shows the inability of the rest of the offense to get going it's not like Altuve had like some sort of remarkable series either 
pretty much um, all parties had their slumps um, from the Astros side of things. And I think the Braves, I'm not mistaken, I think it was nine home runs. Honestly, that might have been before the Freeman. It might be 10. I'll have to double check. Yep, but, yep. Um, just, just a lot more. The, the, it really comes down to the fact that, you know, uh, this was a team, the Braves, that uh, I guess played to their strengths. Um, they swung for the fences, and it really paid off. You know, they were able to convert a lot of runs. The, the, the hit differential, Travis, in this game was not that big. At one point, it was four hits to four in a 6-0 game, which is just like, that's just almost hard to believe in and of itself. But it just kind of shows how good the Braves were at converting runs situationally. You know, they had the big, you know, I guess Astros had some mistake pitches and the Braves capitalized big time. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Braves in Houston and Atlanta, they just were a little bit better every step of the way. Exactly. And it's, it's funny how it kind of reminded me again of 2019 where the Nationals kind of come in this you know team that really no one thought that would be there with a good pitching staff and an offense that was low-key dangerous um that of course that series went seven but it's just funny i mean the, the last two times that the the astros have been in the world series the nl east just continues to hurt uh houston and kind of get the better of them winning important games in houston uh that series of course in 2019 was a very rare one where no home team had won so that was just right. kind of a thing that i honestly don't even know if i'll ever see again in my life um, but yeah, I mean, just a good series from the Braves. I mean, pitching was their strengths, uh, in all that. And it's really funny when Morton went down in game one, I think a lot of people were worried because everyone was thinking, oh crap, you know, now it's just Freed and Ian Anderson. Who are they going to go with in the next start? In my mind, I knew that with the, with the big lead and Morton leaving, I knew that Minter and Matzik and maybe some of the guys could probably get the job done in game one. And they did. And I knew game two was going to go to Freed. Game three was going to go to Anderson. Game four was always going to have to be a bullpen game. You're going to have to figure something out. Maybe go some sort of Drew Smiley, Jesse Chavez thing. Um, and they didn't. They actually went to a rookie who started his first game. Did not do very well. But somehow um, got the got the, uh, but somehow the team win at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. And then game five, um, that one was the game, of course, that was really just kind of a question mark. And they went with a number of different guys. They, they had a bunch of different names out there. Um, Braves, of course, got off to the really early start with the Grand Slam for nothing. And then, of course, Astros just chipped away, chipped away. When they're not, you know, when you don't have a veteran starting pitcher like Morton, most rookies are not going to do very well against the Astros offense. The Astros will learn what you do very quickly and they will, of course, will attack you. Um, but yeah, the Astros really just showed that missing Morton that game, they're going to score nine runs and just take it to you. That's what they did. Game six, we all knew that Free was going to get the ball back again. And then if it went to game seven, it was going to be Ian Anderson. So really, honestly, a crazy blow in game one, a really a freak show injury from Morton. Uh, but it just felt like the Braves, you know what? They really embraced not having their best pieces as they don't have Acuna, they don't have Azuna, uh, and they didn't have some other guys during the season as well. Uh, and even looking at Soler in the NLCS, really funny how this team really embraces the, the downfall of important players um, and they step up in big moments. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the whole kind of breakdown of the pitcher versus pitcher for, for the Braves versus the Astros. And it really comes down to the fact that, yeah, after the Anderson start in game three, you know that the Braves were up 2-1, but you're about to have back-to-back -back bullpen games. And they went away 1-1 one, one and one with that, and they'll take that every day. Exactly. They will take that every day. And the real issue, Travis, also is with McCullers out for the series, the Astros pretty much had two or three like pretty much bullpen games in the series guaranteed Definitely. because Framber can get you two starts. 
Uh, Luis Garcia can get you two starts, but even those two are not as established as some of the Braves guys. Um, it really was, you know, in in the difference maker for the the Red Sox series, um, and even the White Sox series, it really came down to the fact that on those kind of games with shaky starters, guys like Christian Javier really stepped up, Stanek really stepped up, um, Granky even in relief against the White Sox stepped up. But um, the way it went in in this series was those guys got they got hit uh, they got hit by the Braves the Braves stepped up in the big spots and that ultimately decided the series um I, just exactly. now just now saying Granky's name Travis I almost completely forgot about how good his outing was when he started um the the, the hits he got uh, as a batter combined with the pitching performance it really is funny how he just kind of has the curse of these some of these outings which of course game seven of the 2019 World Series he started did a great job got pulled and ended up, you know, losing that game. Very true. Um, you know, a guy who we both believe is going to be a future Hall of Famer, uh, you know, just gets the short end of the stick sometimes on some good starts in the World Series. It's kind of funny. Exactly. And, of course, those big hits. Um, man, I, I mean, I've never seen this guy hit so well in the box as, as he did in this World Series. Crazy to see that Dusty Baker even went to him for a pinch hit opportunity in Game 5, and he came through with the base hit. Oh, I, I would I would trust him more than a lot of other players, like, you know, Marlon Gonzalez, Marlon for Gonzalez, example. Yep, there, uh-huh. there are guys on the bench, you know, a guy like Jason Castro goes out for, uh, you know, COVID protocol, can't play for the rest of the series. You're losing pinch hitters by the day yeah. almost. Yeah. A guy like Granky, for some reason, you know, a career probably like about 200 average, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but he can get done from time to time. And, of course, he did that in this series. Obviously, I don't know why we're spending that much time talking about Grinky's bat, but no, it, was, it was a special kind of moment, at least for his own kind of funny, quirky legacy. But Before there was a guy named Shohei, there was a guy named Zach Grinky. So he, right. he, he was, was the pitcher who raked. Him and Madison Baumgartner were the pitchers who raked, and we were, we were really thinking, man, these guys are great you know, pitchers. They should stay in the NL forever. And then, of course, Shohei comes and just totally obliterates them this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Crazy World Series. Um, I think you know. I going with the Braves. I was I was somewhat comfortable, but I was also, of course, nervous with the Astros. The Astros, of course, are a tremendous team. That offense, you can you really can't you can't give up on a game ever. I was texting Alex, you know, this this game, Game Six, and it, I was asking him like, you know, the the Astros are down six nothing, and it's the seventh or sixth inning, and I was like, I really wonder how much you, if you put fifty dollars on the Astros to still win the World Series. Um, how much you know? What would what would be the the odds? And you know, his response was, you know, with this offense, I really not wouldn't be surprised. It would be very low because you're right. The Astros can score six runs just like that. They can get back in the ball game, as we saw in the Red Sox series. That one game where they where they scored uh, one in the eighth, and then of course I think it was seven in the ninth against the Red Sox, and just completely destroyed them. That transgression, you know, went into the next game, and then of course ended in six against the Red Sox. So. You know, just kind of create and lighten that spark with the Astros. Um, a team could be in trouble very, very badly. So, uh, yeah. Any, anything else to add on that series? Yeah, just uh, a couple, a little bit of some tidbits that I saw on Twitter, like kind of just in the in the aftermath of, of the last game with the series being over. So, Travis, you're probably familiar with this picture. Uh, I believe it's the 2013, if I'm not mistaken, uh, t- uh, Detroit Detroit Tigers. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was that year. It could have been a different year, but it shows their starting rotation of Anibal Sanchez, Max Scherzer, That's right. yep. Justin Verlander, Rick Porcello, and Drew Smiley. What do they all have in common? They all now have World Series rings. And oh. unfortunately, the, the Detroit Tigers do not. So isn't that kind of right. crazy? That's right. You That's compile right. like this kind of super staff of pitchers, 
and now all of a sudden they all have rings and none of them were with your team, which is just kind of a heartbreaker for Detroit fans. And you know what? I feel like I remember something about that in 2019 when Annabelle and Scherzer won their ring. Right. They were talking about the Tigers and they were all in the same rotation in 2013. All of them in their primes. Yeah. You know, they were better than they were those years. And so kind of crazy to think about that kind of stuff when you look at some of these teams. Um, but yeah, now you can add Smiley to that list. Exactly. And then, Travis, <laughs> Travis, you sent me a stat just before the game where uh, Terrence Gore, you, why don't you just, I know you remember it. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, Terrence Gore, in my opinion, you know, one of the best base runners. I remember him very, very well from 2014. Um, he was on the Kansas City Royals, and he pretty much was the Kansas City Royals late inning pinch runner. He'll steal second, and he'll also steal third. So it's almost like someone would walk for, let's just say Salvador Perez would walk for the Royals. You'd put Gore in a pinch run for him, and Salvador Perez really honestly got a triple, and you have a speed demon at third ready to come in on a wild pitch, a sack fly, a ground ball to the infield. So really was a threat in late ball games. But A lot of value there. Yeah, so really honestly known for his speed. That's really what he's known for. But crazy stat that honestly... I might think this might be one of the craziest stats I've ever seen in my life. I was just completely blown away. Terrence Gore has one career RBI in Major League Baseball, but he has three rings. He has more rings than RBIs. I really want to know if there is remotely anybody else that is a position player that has that same stat. Really incredible and just... It's just funny. It's, like it's just funny. Seeing it doesn't make that much sense, but you know he just used so situationally. He's the kind of guy who you might not even see him on a team in the whole regular season. Exactly. But when it comes trade deadline, or, or he could be a free agent, and right before the postseason starts, a team would have signed him for a minimum deal. Say this guy will have a spot, the twenty sixth man or whatever. He can get you know the right situation. He'll and, prove his value. And, and it's crazy that some managers will even say, we want to keep you on the roster and not, you know, get another pitcher because we need you for the late inning stolen bases. We need speed. So um, really kind of a cool tactic that some of these managers use when organizing their, you know, playoff rosters and their World Series rosters, and they want to have that one speed demon on the bench ready to go for any instance. So, uh, yeah, I mean, probably one of the craziest stats I'll see in a very long time. Um, I, I love seeing those 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 ring statistics with other people too. I know with basketball, there's a ton where you might have a bench player who has you know five rings, and you're just like, that's how, kind of insane. How can that be? Yeah, exactly. So, and Travis, one more thing to add: Angels legend Jeff Mathis. That's right. Now has a ring because he was on the Braves in the first half of the season. Uh, Very you know, interesting. He he's just one of these guys that. It's almost kind of funny how he's still in the league because he was an angel back in like 05 and he was just like this defensive catcher that, you know, we always kind of hated him, I think, as kids because he had no bat. We was like Napoli better. But in reality, he stayed in the league so long because he's a good defender. Exactly. And, and, a, and a clutch, a clutch 2009 ALCS and postseason. I remember that. It's sad being an Angels fan because that's what we go back to is 2009. Um, but yeah, but he got his ring, Travis. He got his ring at the end of the day. So congrats to his, him. He got his ring, and also, of course, the big congrats to Freddie Freeman getting his ring. Um, just a, just a, I was just a program guy for the Braves. Uh, you know, being drafted by them in 2007, and then of course going through the process. You know, at one moment that really, really, you know, reminds me. Um, you know, looking back at Freddie Freeman's career. Um, I think it was 2011. They had a 162 in 2011. It was a crazy day in baseball where you had all these different teams. The day, of course, where Longoria hit the walk-off to send the Rays to the World Series. But I remember the Braves were in the hunt for the wild card, and they actually had a huge lead. 
Cardinals were chasing them down. The Cardinals ended up winning game 162, and the Braves lost. And the last out was Freddie Freeman running down the first baseline. He grounded a double play to end the game and end the Braves' season in 2011. And I see him throw his helmet down, and he's so frustrated. And he's a rookie. He's a young guy. But it's kind of crazy how his career just transpired, and he finally got to bring that trophy home 10 years later to the city of Atlanta and really honestly end this Atlanta kind of curse as we've seen for all these different Atlanta or Georgia teams in the past five or so years. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's just a great recap of, I guess, his tenure with the Braves. And now, Travis, it only makes sense that he's a free agent. And I think it's time for him to probably move on. It would be awesome. It'd be absolutely awesome if they offer him a max deal or whatever it is, you know, just give him so much money and he can stay there and be a career brave and, you know, try to become a Hall of Famer maybe as a brave. And that'd be, you know, it'd it'd be awesome. But um, at this point, he got his ring for the city, and he's probably going to go where the money is, is my guess. Personally, I think he'll go where the money is. But, Travis, we're going to cover all that kind of stuff in the offseason. Of course. Um, Hot stove season starts. Starting yeah. next week is going to be, you know, free agent talk, you know, who's getting hired, who's getting the arbitration deals, who's becoming free agents, where do you think people are going to go. That starts next week. So, Travis, we're going to continue the postseason conversation. Right now, we're going to go through our uh, 2021 all postseason teams. This is going to be both position players, you know, catcher, uh, infield, outfield, DH, five starting pitchers, three relief pitchers, and the postseason MVP. Um, a lot of this is really kind of almost grabbing at straws. It's some very close calls, of course, and I'm sure we'll have some differences. And I'm sure I, I'm going to understand what you pick. You'll understand what I pick because some of these guys, you know, had a great, you know, ALCS, but they didn't make the World Series. Or somebody had a somebody made it to the World Series, and he, you know, had more time to put up more numbers. But why don't you start us off, Travis, with your catcher, and we'll get this underway. Yeah, catcher for me, I think it's honestly one of the easiest picks. Will Smith for the Dodgers. Um, the, the the playoffs he had, uh, three home runs, led all catchers in home runs, uh, and almost led all catchers in hits. Travis Darno had more hits, of course, playing four uh, more games than Will Smith total in the playoffs, but. Will Smith is a complete stud, easily the best catcher in the postseason for me. His numbers, too, back it up. Uh, yeah, I'll just stop right there and say yeah, Will Smith is definitely the um, pretty much my catcher for the all-team. Travis, I actually put someone else different down, which is like— Interesting, it's, yeah. it's just funny that already, you know, you were very confident, and I do think Will Smith is, you know, one of the best catchers in the game. I just put down Travis Darnell, and I think, obviously, Will Smith okay. is a better catcher than Travis Darnell. But Darno had over a thousand OPS in the World Series, which you know the highest leverage possible. He came up big. Um, that that those stats are not including Game Six because that's not uploaded to Baseball Reference just yet. But um, oh, you know what? It says oh no no yeah it, it's not it's not uploaded in Baseball Reference quite yet. <laughs> but Will Smith, um, looking at his numbers here, NLDS over a twelve hundred OPS, which is awesome. But you know one walk, no hits in the wild card game and then didn't do too great against the Braves not too bad but not too great either um I, I like both players um I like the case for both players I just went with uh Darno who had the big World Series mm-hmm. you know somehow ended up being one of the better hitters for the Braves in the World Series came up big early in the series and uh helped them win games so and, and I will say one thing that's crazy is last episode we were talking about the catchers who had the edge and both Maldonado and Darno were just kind of like the slums of the teams, you know, yeah, we, 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 we weren't confident really in both because I think Darno had one RBI and I think Maldonado had one hit in the postseason. So it was just kind of like, 
I guess they better just be good defenders and really help them out that way. But both guys actually had pretty good offensive performances in the World Series. Darno, of course, having a good, great offensive performance as a catcher. You know what, Travis? So they just actually did put in Game 6 in the World Series. So now if you look on Baseball Reference 2021, there's a little ring next to Darno. So you actually, it's, it's, full, <laughs> it's, it's fully updated now. And his OPS for the World Series after today dropped from 1,000 to 875. Okay. So honestly, Travis, that one game change probably gives the edge to Will Smith in my book. Uh, it, it just got uploaded right now, so you know, no, no, no reason to you know change my picks. But yeah, it, it kind of shows you how one game can change your postseason stats completely. But and and I was looking at Will Smith too. Crazy to see 500 slugging percentage in in the postseason this year. The 365 on base and a 250 average, uh, an 865 OPS total in the entire postseason. I thought that was definitely well earned. For me, and that's super why solid. Will Smith, you know, super solid player, like you said, yeah. Okay, uh, so I think we're pretty much, you know, we, we see both cases there. Moving on to first base, Travis, I'll go ahead and give my pick. I went with Freddie Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, lo- a lot of reasons are obvious. He, you know, was the, you know, pretty much spiritual leader, the all-star of his team who won the World Series. Um, besides that, the stats back it up. He had some clutch home runs. Situa- situationally, Travis, the home run off Josh Hader was probably one of the most important hits of the Braves' whole season. Getting over the hump in that Game 4 to beat the Brewers, to avoid a Game 5 against Corbin Burns, that would have been a nightmare scenario. If exactly. somehow Hader shut down the Braves and the Brewers were able to kind of sneak away with the win in Game 4, you would have had Game 5 against Corbin Burns, who, in my opinion, is a Cy Young, but you know we'll see when that voting comes out. It would have been a nightmare for the Braves, and they might not, they, their run might have stopped much earlier than it did. So very true. Very Freeman's true. clutchness combined with his overall very good numbers, he's my first baseman. Yeah, the and and, team. and I'm gonna go same way. Freddie Freeman after Game Two of that NLCS, I mean he was 0 for 8 his first two games, eight strikeouts. You can't you can't really get much worse than that in the postseason as you as you start L- a series. Literally can't get much worse. Especially a championship series. You have not gotten past that in how and you know in, in, in since ninety nine. You have not get, gotten to the World Series. So it was a big kind of moment for him to really step up. He's Mr. Brave. I mean with with some of these young guys, you know, in their second or third postseason, Freddie Freeman is a guy that's been there for ten years. So he was he had to step up in the moment. He did um, you know looking at his kind of stat line with all other all of the first basemen in the postseason he pretty much beats him at everything. If you want to look at home runs, he had five home runs. That's better than any first baseman. You want to look at RBIs, he had more RBIs than anybody, more walks than anybody. Uh, and then you look, of course, the OPS, uh, 1,045 OPS. Of course, other guys had better OPSs because they only played in two or three games. But if you look at the total, you know, 16 games played of the postseason, uh, he was just a complete stud. He really stepped up. Honestly, I, if Soler did not get the MVP, I would have... Definitely had some consideration for Freddie Freeman. Just, of course, he is the Atlanta Braves guy, and he had a home run in Game 6. It had a great performance in the World Series. So uh, Freddie Freeman easily is the first baseman. Uh, Alex, I'll kind of turn it over to the second base spot, and I'll give you my second baseman for the all-postseason team. And that guy is pretty much Jose Altuve. Uh, You know, (laughs) you kind of look down the list again. Five home runs for Altuve in the postseason this year. It's, it's kind that, of incredible for a second baseman. That career total is really getting up there for the postseason. Exactly. I mean, just a, a postseason guy. You can make an all-time postseason team. Jose Altuve might be up there. He might have to, you know, he might have to battle Joe Morgan or some other greats. But Jose Altuve has just been an absolute stud uh, at the plate. Led all second basemen in home runs, RBIs, as well as runs. 
uh, and then also has walks. Did not have a good average, only batted 209 the whole entire postseason. But when you look at the OPS all the way up um, near 800, so he really stepped up, of course, on the slugging percentage. Um, and as a second baseman, that's you know almost a 500 slugging percentage. That's pretty amazing. So Jose Altuve is my second baseman for the All Postseason team this year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Travis. Uh, Jose Altuve was one of the yeah one of the best players of the postseason for sure. I went a different way, and I actually kind of cheated. So <laughs> I, I'll explain to you what I mean by that. I, uh, I, I picked a player who was a second baseman for almost the whole season and then didn't play much second base in the postseason because the, his team acquired another middle infielder. I'm talking about Chris Taylor. Okay. He didn't play much second base. He did a little bit in the postseason, I believe, but um, I just couldn't fit him in the outfield, and I was having trouble with, you know, Altuve had a great postseason, but I just felt like I had to have Chris Taylor on this team. He okay. plays a lot of second base. Travis, in the NLCS, if the Dodgers had somehow came back one game six and then one game seven, he would have been the NLCS MVP. He batted 476 average, 542 on base, over a 1,000 slugging for a 1589 OPS that he played in all six games of the series, 24 played appearances. So it's not a tiny sample size. It's not like, a oh, he just pinch hit. No, he was doing everything. Combine that with the, of course, the game-winning home run, walk-off home run in the wild card game, by far the most valuable Dodger in terms of just how good you were situationally for their whole postseason. Unfortunately for him, he also loses a bunch of points for a situational play. On of course, he got kind of picked off rounding second and kind of slipped up. Yeah. A really big mistake that cost them a game in that against the Braves in the in the CS. But in terms of his play at the plate and the fact that he does play second base, I gave him the spot because I wanted him to be on this team mm-hmm. some way or mm-hmm. another. He had a ten percent, ten point seven percent championship win probability added. That means he increased the Dodgers' chance of winning the World Series by ten percent. Even though, and that's just in the NLCS, and they still lost the series. But it kind of goes to show how impactful he was, um, just by himself, just almost like a one-man army in a Dodgers team that you know was not able to get offense going. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I went. Yeah, it was three home runs and three doubles for him in that series, the CS. But yeah, Altuve completely. I agree, the best traditional second baseman of the postseason for sure. I just wanted to have Taylor on this team somehow, so I just made it work. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Moving on to the third base stop spot, um, who'd you have for that for this postseason? So for third base, I went with Rafael Devers. I think you know he did a lot uh, to get the Reds. This Red Sox team, Travis, it's always going to be kind of interesting and kind of tricky for me because I just don't know how to assess them. They had a lot of ups and downs in the regular season. They were the best team in the AL. Uh, east for the whole like pretty much most of the first half until the Braves found or sorry until the Rays finally got going, um, and then all of a sudden they almost let it slip at the very end. Mm-hmm. But one of the key pieces in the postseason, pretty much game in game out that you can count on, was Rafael Devers coming up big, a big grand slam against the Astros, a huge home run against the Rays to help them get out of that series. Um, I did not pen, I did not pencil in the Red Sox to beat the Rays. I did not think that was going to mm-hmm. be remotely possible, honestly, because the mm-hmm. Rays were just sorts of a well, I guess, well-tuned machine. They were knew exactly what their game plan was. It worked all regular season, but the Red Sox, who looked sloppy coming in, pieced it together at the right time. I think a lot of that credit goes to Rafael Devers. So he is my third baseman for this team. Who do you have? Absolutely, completely agree. Reach Boom. Um, yeah, Devers was the guy. Only guy I can I can see in consideration would be Austin Riley. Had a great, great postseason, but Devers, I mean... 
what a offensive onslaught this guy was in the 11 games that he played this postseason. Uh, I mean, when you got five homers and 12 RBIs in 11 games, even in the regular season, that's pretty damn good. And you're talking about going in the postseason, you're facing some of the best starting pitching, you know, going against Garrett Cole, going against, uh, you know, going against these these Rays pitchers, McClanahan, some of the other guys, you know, just what a great staff the Rays even have. Uh, what he was able to do was just insane for him. So, yeah, Devers, of course, could be one of the best offensive players in the all, all of the postseason out of any sure. player. So easily the third baseman. Uh, moving to the shortstop position, Alex, I'll go first. Um, you know, there were a lot of good guys. I mean, shortstop in the postseason this year was very, very deep. I mean, a lot of the teams had an all-star shortstop. They did. Team. They did. And you look even back, you know, at the, um, you know, at some of the division series, Wander Franco, an absolute stud, you know, Brandon Crawford, Tim Anderson, some of these guys were just complete studs. The first division series, of course, their team didn't get them to the league championship series. So their fall classic ended early. But for me, kind of the guy that was, you know, just always consistent as the series and as the games went on for me was Carlos Correa. He pretty much led all shortstops in RBIs with nine, uh, had the most hits and most runs for any shortstop. Uh, and, you know, just some of those big moments he had with the Astros in the NLDS. I always think back with that big uh, hit against Rodon in, the, uh, in game four of the ALDS and kind of, you know, unleashing the whole entire onslaught of the, of the Astros offense. Um, but yeah, just, just an, a really insane and impressive, uh, postseason. One other guy, of course, I'll say, uh, too, with, with, you know, really rivaling him was, you know, Xander Bogarts, uh, both those guys put on great offensive performances, but I think Correa, uh, just had a lot of good, smart and sneaky plays, um, as entire shortstop all put together. So Correa is my all, uh, postseason shortstop. Yeah. Um, so I actually had Bogarts written down and, um, the real difference maker for me that made me flip to Correa is the defense. Mm-hmm. And um, Bogarts, it's not like he had a bad defensive you know, postseason, but just, Travis, we were just watching uh, some of the double plays turned by Correa. The arm you see on him is crazy. Insane. So many times, Travis, where he is almost flat-footed, has to fire a missile, and the ball beats the runner by half a step. You know, the throw had to be that hard, or else the play would not have been an out, and he gets it done. Um, so combining the glove, I believe he led baseball in defensive war, if I'm not mistaken, this season. Um, I'll have to double check, but, uh, you know, obviously it's a postseason award, but the defense was on full display and the bat was in the same ballpark as Bogarts. I was leading Bogarts. I thought the bat was a little bit better, especially because the home run off Cole was a really big deal that, that must've skyrocketed the, the Red Sox odds to, you know, continue through the postseason to get that, you know, first inning, um, first blood drawn in that wild card game. But uh, Correa had the big moments himself, uh, a big home run, and against the uh, against the Red Sox. But then, of course, the defense was on full display. Travis, you also mentioned Wander Franco. I also really wanted to put him. He had a very impressive. Oh, insane! O- only four games is the issue, right? Yeah. Is are we really gonna put a guy who played four games over you know these guys who made it to the World Series and you know what went deep? Um, it's definitely a tough call to make and hard to leave a guy like Correa off for someone who played four games. But just to put it into some perspective, um, looking at the postseason stats here for Franco, four games, 19 plate appearances. He batted 368, 368 on base, so no walks, but two homers over over a 1.158 OPS. Um, yeah, two almost ho- an 800 slugging. Two homers and two doubles <laughs> yeah. in four games yeah. is just a monstrous, you know, stretch of games. And um, 
he totally deserves um, tons of credit. He's getting hyped up like crazy because he you know deserves that hype. But in the four games, the value he adds is just not compared to a guy who played you know twenty plus games in a postseason. Exactly, and it's funny because you had four games he played, and pretty much if you multiply that by four, because Correa played sixteen games, mm-hmm. you'd get maybe his full sixteen game projections right there. Almost looking like a Barry Bonds 2002 World Series, and he's a shortstop. Looking even back to Randy Rosarena last year, that was almost what Wander Franco did. And this guy hasn't even played a full regular season yet. I mean, the Rays got someone at their shortstop position that is a special kind of talent, and he proved it in the uh, in the playoffs. But going back to Correa, Alex, I would love to see him pitch one day because <laughs> he can probably pump it up there. And, you know, just bring him in for a seventh or eighth inning, maybe if you're down 10 runs or something like that, we be really interesting to see. Because, yeah, I saw some of those throws from short uh, missiles out there. So I think with, um, you know, getting out of the infield, we'll go now to our outfield, Alex. And, of course, how we did it in the regular season, we just kind of give our three outfielders and talk about them. So for me, my three outfielders for this postseason uh, are going to be Eddie Rosario, Kike Hernandez, and I went with Chris Taylor now because okay. playing, I think, 80 to 90% of the games in left field. So those are my three. I think it's pretty obvious. I think I don't, I don't have to do too much explaining. Um, Kike Hernandez, all I have to say is wow. I mean, I don't understand how, you know, sneaky guys like that just come out and produce in a way of that sort. It, it, it's just It's just crazy to see that kind of stuff. Eddie Rosario, the same thing. We were talking about him earlier with how, you know, Braves picking him up from Cleveland. Just an absolute, I feel like nobody in Cleveland and comes to the Braves and the NLCS he put on was one for the ages. Definitely one you want to keep, uh, you know, in your back pocket for, you know, probably the rest of your life because it was an absolute show. Most hits out of anybody in the postseason this year were 23 hits. Uh, so an insane postseason there. And of course, Chris Taylor, you kind of talked about him during your second baseman award. Chris Taylor, in my opinion, was an absolute onslaught. He was the NLCS MVP if the Braves had not won. He really right. carried the he carried the Dodgers the whole entire postseason, I felt like. I feel like coming when Taylor came to the plate, and he's probably batting in the sixth or the seventh hole, you really didn't feel like you were out of it. You're facing one of the Dodgers' best hitters, mm-hmm. and he's going to have a great offseason, I think. I think it's going to be time to him for, for him to get paid. Um, and, you know, be an everyday player. He won't be a guy that will have to just play left, third, short, you know, those kind of things. I think he's going to be an everyday player now and have a great contract. That This, this postseason really proved to have him a great year. Um, Alex, who are your three guys? So two of ours are the same. Of course, uh, Taylor's not going to be the same because I have him in a different position. Yep. But uh, Rosario, Kike Hernandez, obvious choices. They were just, you know, Rosario, electric the whole way through pretty much every series. Uh, Kiki Hernandez, like you said, completely earned it with his bat, even defensively, was very solid playing center field. He also has that vers- versatility that just helps, you know, good base runner, good speed, the works. Um, so they were the obvious two picks for me. My third pick was kind of interesting, and I went with a similar Wander Franco type scenario, a guy who only played four games, and that's Randy Arozarena. So wow, okay. It's, it's definitely an interesting pick, you know, just four games, 19 played appearances. But a 333 average, a 474 on base. That's you know that's that's big time. And then a 600 slugging. Um, Travis, obviously a 1074 OPS. That's we're looking at just this postseason. Mm-hmm. But it's funny how you look at the last five postseason series he's been in over a 1000 
OPS plus or OPS in every single series. He does not slow down in the postseason. He thrives in it. Um, he's just a guy who I want on my postseason team. He of course stole two bases, one of them being home plate, which was a very big deal um, in that game one. A Jackie Robinson type, you know, look, yeah. Right, a, a, a game one uh, exclamation point almost to beat the Red Sox. Of course, the next three games did not go their way, but a home run, a double. Um, and four walks, he really just got on base at, at a crazy rate. Um, pretty comparable on base percentage to when he was just uh, breaking records last postseason. The sample, the sample size was just a lot smaller this time because, of course, four games lost the DS. But um, I still see a 6% championship win probability added. He helped the Rays win a, uh, their quest to, uh, to win a ring a lot, even though they only lost in four games. So... Um, yeah, I went with him for my third pick. I, he's a guy who I want on my team, so I went with him, and uh, that's pretty much all there is to it. I think Taylor is a better, had a better postseason, but since I already used him, I went with I went with Rosarena here. No, yeah, and I was actually really shocked. I was just waiting to hear Kyle Tucker. Um, right. I thought Kyle Tucker, he, he isn't really a name that I feel like we've talked about too much um, and hasn't really got the appreciation he deserves. I mean, a great, great postseason he had. Uh, led all of um, MLB for the postseason in RBIs with 15, had four home runs. Uh, just a very sneaky, sneaky, great hitter for the Astros. He's the seven hitter, Alex. And mm-hmm. in some of those games, even against the White Sox, we, we we knew he was the best hitter on the field. I mean, I think that the Astros fans and everybody in Houston knew that Kyle Tucker was probably one of the most confident hitters coming up in some of those situations. Uh, he really, you know, carried the back end of that lineup. I know when you get back there, you get towards, you know, Maldonado and even you had uh, McCormick and you're kind of just like, uh, you know, it's, it's not really too exciting back there. But Kyle Tucker is the guy that keeps that spark alive. So uh, Kyle Tucker, of course, was definitely an honorable mention for me. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely kept him off. It was funny. Right after this game six, I put in Taylor because I was honestly waiting to see if Tucker maybe could have like a two or, th- you know, even a three home run game. That would have been really insane. And I would have thought, okay. Kyle Tucker will definitely be my outfield spot. So it was funny how I literally was keeping Chris Taylor off of it just because I wanted to see what Kyle Tucker did in game six. He could have had an absolute outstanding five RBI, two home run game. That would have probably elevated me to put him in my last outfield spot. But of course, uh, the bats were silent for the Braves or for the Astros in game six. So Chris Taylor easily got that spot. It was a tough one. I mean, literally you had Rosario, the NLCS uh, MVP, and you have Kike Hernandez, who you know has just been a stud the whole postseason, and then Chris Taylor, who would have also been the NLCS MVP if the Dodgers would have won. So, um, yeah, really talented outfield, of course, in this postseason. I think, of course, we can definitely agree that was where all the talent was when you yeah. make all these postseason teams. Some of these guys were absolute studs uh, when they played this postseason. But let's go to the DH role, Alex. So, of course, it kind of sucks for the NL because they don't get to have really any. Um, any say in this one right i guess you could maybe say jorge soler you know with what he did right. um I, if you said that i would not uh, shake my head exactly, would, exactly. Cool with that. the sample size of course is very small but jorge soler did have an insane three games as the dh but uh alex your dh for the all uh postseason team yeah it has to be your don mm-hmm. um i'm sure i'm pretty confident you're gonna agree um just the way he had such a monstrous championship series uh of course the alcs mvp travis Honestly, a very surprisingly poor World Series for him, but it just didn't matter because of how good he was in the first two series. Um, so in the in the in the against the White Sox, four games, a one one six six OPS, and then a monstrous fourteen oh eight OPS 
um, in the six games against Boston really just completely carried the load. In those first two series, Travis, his on-bases were above 500 in each series. And then uh, just some, somehow just collapsed in the last six games. Uh, only a 100 average, a th- about a 308 on-base and a 200 slugging. Just a really bad series for him. But, you know, the best hitters will have a bad six-game stretch. And that's why the postseason is so volatile with some of these guys. But um, the first two series completely earned it for him in my mind. He's my DH for my postseason team. Yeah, and it's funny to, to see Jordan, the only player in the postseason to have multiple doubles, triples, and home runs. So really? you don't really see him as a triples machine. There's actually right now I'm looking and I only see one other guy that had a triple and it was Eddie Rosario. Uh, with with the cycle watch in that one game in LA, but two triples, I believe it was game six. He had two triples, and yeah, just kind of insane to see Jordan Alvarez do that. But also leading all of MLB postseason in walks was a huge walker this postseason. People you just knew had to pitch around him. He was hitting lefties and righties. You really couldn't do much when he came to the plate. So I think Red Sox fans are going to remember his series for a long time. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's a really good point, too. One guy I also will say was definitely on my consideration list was, of course, J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez having 10 RBIs, a very good postseason for the Red Sox. Really broke out in that Tampa Bay Rays series. Uh, and he finished with a 1.135 OPS. So a very stud postseason for J.D. Martinez. It was funny, you know, 4-4-7 on base, and Jordan had a 4-4-9 on base. But the 4-4-9 is also equating his World Series performance as well, which was not very stinker, good. Yeah. So you think about when the, when the, when the ALCS ended, Jordan's numbers were probably just like it, it, on, on another one. Yeah, it, it's Bonds. It's yeah, Bonds. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's Bonds. And so Jordan, of course, was the guy for me. Also looking at the, I, I was funny, you know, looking at the walks 13 and also looking at multiple doubles, triples, and home runs. It's kind of just a weird but funny stat that he definitely uh, was able to accomplish. But yeah, Jordan, of course, is the guy with the ALCS MVP. Um, and then, of course, the, the whole entire, you know, postseason performance, he definitely was um, the best DH. But let's move on now to the uh, starting pitching, Alex. So our five starting pitchers, um, give me your five. And I'll give you my five. We kind of can run through it. I want to. I'm really interested to see who you got because there are a couple guys in here that very interesting kind of names that got brought up. But uh, give me your five. I'll give you my five, and then we'll just discuss. Okay. So my five. Um, there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of ways you can go with this. Some people probably favor uh, really good in a short amount of games, or some people probably favor the guys who went to the World Series and did it on the big moments. So my list is kind of a mix of both. Uh, in no order, I have Logan Webb. I have Max Freed, I have McCullers Jr., I have Charlie Morton, and I have Ian Anderson. That's my five. So go ahead and give me yours and we can discuss. Very, very similar. I'm glad you bats some of those names. So, of course, um, for me, Ian Anderson had to be, of course, on that list. Uh, Max Freed, also with that performance, had to be on the list as well. Logan Webb, also on the list with the Division Series. Lance McCullers Jr., as well, on the list for me. And the last guy, Max Scherzer. Um, okay. but Morton, I will say, of course, was a guy to look at as well. Uh, I guess, you know, coming down to it, Alex, we'll talk about the guys we agreed, but going over Scherzer and Morton, I, I felt that Scherzer, you know, with the two one six ERA, and I just feel like with him being pushed, just pushed to the limit, Dave Roberts asking for so much Max Scherzer, always, in my opinion, 
delivered. I think he did a fantastic job going into the wild card, had a wild pitch that really uh, was an unfortunate wild pitch that scored the run. But other than that, that's the only run that the Cardinals scored in the wild card game. Right. And then looking at the Giants series, uh, you know, came into game three. I think he, that was the game where the Giants won one nothing, and everyone was kind of just like, Really, we're going to lose this game. We lost this game one nothing, and it was a really windy night in L.A., but Scherzer, of course, had a great start in that one. And, of course, coming into Game 5, closing that one out against the Giants. Controversial, of course, check swing call, but uh, great job from Max Scherzer there. Uh, and, you know, even with game, uh, game 2 against the Braves, he, I think, only gave up two runs or so in that series. Uh, you know, I, I just really felt that Scherzer was a guy that really, I mean, he was their dog horse this year and in this postseason. He, I mean, unfortunately, he came out and he was even saying, you know, I haven't really been pushed this hard. You know, in, in previous postseason pass, he's had a rotation where he's had consecutive, you know, guys going out there, Strasburg, Corbin, Anibal Sanchez with the Nationals. So he's never really been in this kind of situation before, but I thought he handled it greatly. Uh, 16 and two-thirds innings. Uh, and, you know, of course, just it's just a, a, a marvelous performance. But give me kind of what you thought with Charlie Morton. Yeah, so everything you said about Scherzer, um, he completely deserves uh, tons of praise. Um, I guess it's almost it almost comes down to the way you remember their postseason run ending. And, of course, Scherzer got uh, bested by the Braves bats in the in the CS. Um, let me double check. I just had it up. His. His ERA in the in the NLCS against the Braves, um, it was a four point one five. He gave up two runs and got pulled after just four point one innings, mm-hmm. four and a third. Um, he was great, obviously against the Giants, and then like you said, the wild card was just the one run, um, but still got pulled through four point one. So he just wasn't quite the deep innings guys. But that's been the story of the whole postseason, I guess, right? But I feel like Morton had a very conventional. Um, went deep into games deeper than than Scherzer at least, and I think he just really got the job done in uh in some big moments. I will always remember the broken leg, uh, still finished the inning performance by Morton, Travis. You know people ob- oftentimes bring up a bloody sock game for Kurt Schilling. I think breaking your leg will just never be topped in terms of like exactly how difficult that must be to continue pitching with a fractured. I think I think it was a fibula. Mm-hmm. Um, to pitch with a fractured leg, not only strike out Jose Altuve, but, you know, try to go back out there and then just realize, you know, it's just I'm in too much pain. I have to come out. Um, I think just that alone deserves a bunch of credit. But, yeah, I think Morton just overall, what he was able to do kind of in every series, being a consistent, uh, good pitcher, you know, n- not that many great, great outings, but just being good in every outing he they asked, they called on him. Um, so he, that's why I really picked him. Uh even though he only threw two point two and a, and a third innings in the World Series, um, it was a very impactful two and a third because it increased the Braves' chance to win the World Series by three point eight percent, and that's just on two mm-hmm. innings of pitching, which mm-hmm. is which is crazy. So, um, yeah, I went with Morton. Um, that's pretty much why uh, Scherzer. I'll have to double check. He might have even thrown more innings, or actually, it's exactly exactly the same innings. And yeah, it's funny, sixteen and two thirds, and that just mostly comes down to the fact that. Um, Scherzer had the wild card game to kind of help mm-hmm, him, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, Morton got hurt in the World Series. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, both guys deserve tons of credit, and they're both had some legendary outings. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that's a good point we put on that one. And now let's kind of turn to um, you know the two starting pitchers that were definitely you know dominant in the division series, and that's Logan Webb and that's Lance McCullers Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, 
tell me kind of why you chose those guys. Same with me. I'll, I'll tell you why I chose them. Um, go, go kind of under your analysis on those two. Yes, I think they were just simply too good to leave off, even though they were not able to pitch deep into the postseason. Obviously, McCullers' teams made it to the World Series, but got injured and was unable to pitch at all against Boston or against Atlanta, which was obviously a huge blow for the Astros because against the White Sox, Travis, it I, I've said that multiple times on the podcast, it really feels like he single-handedly won two games for them. There was two games where he, sh- agree, he yep. shut down a very talented, very deep uh, Chicago White Sox offense and you know tons of great bats, great depth, pretty well-rounded, and McCullers Jr., Took care of big, took care of business, and so he had to be on my team some way or another. And then Logan Webb, Travis, he really had a total a breakout season, but then a breakout also um, NLDS against the Dodgers. Dodgers, of course, a great lineup. They made it all the way to Game Six of the NLCS. So even though they had a shaky, you know, kind of postseason, um, they still obviously had a very good team. And Logan Webb just said. I'm ready for it. I don't care how you know young I am or if it's my first postseason. I don't care. He went, uh, I'm seeing 14.2 innings, only allowed one run, uh, 17 strikeouts in 14.2 innings against a very good Dodgers team. Um, he just did everything possible in his that he was able to do to try to get the Giants to a, uh, you know, try to get them to the pennant, uh, to the CS, to the pennant, to the World Series, but. Um, one pitcher can only do so much, but he did everything possible and then some. So they both had to be on my team um, at Very the end good. of the day. Very good. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the big thing with Logan Webb is what he was able to do to that Dodgers lineup. I mean, we definitely look back at that San Francisco series, and Logan Webb was like what Lance McCullough Jr. was the Astros. He was the entire Giants team. Two games where he absolutely just shoved it. I mean, it's crazy that he almost pitched the same amount of innings as Scherzer and Morton. In the entire postseason, 14 right. and two-thirds, while Scherzer and Morton had 16 and two-thirds. Only two less innings than those two. And those two uh, went very deep into the postseason. So you can definitely see that by Logan Webb literally going out there every single outing and going seven or eight innings for the Giants. I mean, just an absolute workhorse. Uh, it would have been nice to have him go you know, further into the postseason. Giants would have loved to have him you know, carry them through, you know, go seven innings almost every single start. That would really be a bullpen, uh, you know, nursing kind of game. Uh, but then, and then also going with Lance McCullers too, Alex, I, I totally agree with you. A .84 ERA, 10 and two-thirds innings. And like you said, game one, he won that game just he, by, himself. He, by, by himself for the Astros. Game four, it really honestly looked like the White Sox could, in fact, possibly make this thing a five-game series, go back to Houston. I'm sure Houston does not want to do that because that's kind of just a, a telling sign of, okay, the, the, the momentum and the tides have turned to the White Sox right. side. And Lance McCullers Jr., of course, again, put the team on his back, got them the dub, got them the win, advanced them to the postseason. Just an absolute shame that we did not get to see this guy more often. I, I know that was one of the big keys in, I think, the Astros – ALCS kind of going six games, and then of course the World Series going six games and losing. I think if McCullers was in it, we would have saw maybe a better and faster ALCS, and that would have resulted into maybe a more interesting series with the Braves. They would have had a very good matchup with McCullers and Morton. That would have felt like a very good pitching duel and matchup. And then of course having Framber, Luis Garcia, Granky, or Kitty, or Kitty pitching very very well in the later uh, games in the World Series. 
But um, what he was able to do against what I think that White Sox lineup could be one of the deepest in the postseason, um, just extraordinary. Yeah, and so uh, just one last bit on McCullers. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the regular season uh, in terms of pitching, at least in the American League. Um, led baseball in limiting hits per nine and limiting home runs per nine. Sorry, led the American League. Um, and then his real downfall, Travis, was he allowed the most walks of any starting pitcher in baseball mm-hmm. at 76 walks allowed. And he really trimmed that down against the White Sox. And I think that was a big key for him to really succeed in a big way. Only three walks in his over 10 innings pitched against the White Sox, which is obviously a huge improvement from 76 walks allowed in his regular season, which is just a super lofty number. But um, yeah, I mean, he got strikeouts and he avoided walks and he um, pitched great overall. I think he's one of my big sleepers for next season looking to you know, potential, you know, bets and, uh, you know, who might have another kind of breakout year. If he can continue limiting those walks um, next season, I think he can get even better. So so I'm excited to see what he's got on the table. But Travis, um, that leaves a couple of Braves pitchers we still have to talk about being Ian Anderson, Max Freed. We both had both those guys. Um, I guess I'll just start off. Both guys um, deserve tons of credit, first of all. Max Freed, of course, I think just today is the reason why he's on the list easily, for me. Easily, um, Just having a big dog performance, uh, going six innings, and just shutting out, uh, in my opinion, I've been saying it all year, the best offense in baseball, just shutting them out, a goose egg through six, through the whole game eventually, but through six, uh, Freed took care of business completely. Um, I don't think he had, like, you know, the most spectacular postseason of all because his ERA in the World Series was 4.91, his ERA in the championship series was a 5.91. So it's not like he blew my socks off overall, but just what he did today in the biggest start of his life, Travis, he came through in such a huge way. So I guess give me your thoughts on Max Freed. Yeah, Max Freed was one of the guys I actually did not have on my list until after this ball game. He was honestly in jeopardy of not making my starting five. I actually had Nathan Evaldi mm-hmm. circled to possibly replace him. I wanted to see how Max Freed did in game six. He was one of my game time decisions to put on my list. Uh, and, and what he did in game six was uh, just a masterful job. Uh, after the first inning, you kind of were a little shaky and didn't know how it was going to go, but was able to calm down and get through and just really make the batters of the Houston Astros look absolutely silly. So Max Freed for me is definitely a, uh, <laughs> he's definitely a top guy and a guy to look forward to in the future for that uh, Atlanta Braves Rotation, and then of course Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson, seventeen innings pitched. Not a lot of innings pitched for him. When you look at guys going deep into ball games, I mean, it's kind of funny that he has seventeen, and Scherzer almost had seventeen innings pitched. He had a pretty short lease consistently throughout exactly. the playoffs. Exactly, but a one five nine ERA throughout the postseason with two wins. Uh, it was hard not to even think about you know leaving him off the list. He was definitely a guy that was gonna was gonna have to make it for me. Uh, so those are the two guys for the uh, Atlanta Braves. They really showed that, you know, the Braves have a deep pitching staff and that, you know, one thing I'll say is that the Braves, all these guys are returning. All these guys are going to be there for the next, you know, two, three years. I know Max Fried isn't a free agent until 2025. Ian Anderson isn't a free agent until 2027. And also, we're not even talking about Mike Soroka, a guy that literally was a stud two years ago, of course, ruptured his Achilles in 2020. But Braves starting rotation. I mean, 
it's it's going to be special to talk about before next season starts because with Morton now on a two-year deal. The extension was definitely good to get that out of the way before postseason, sorry, before off-season time hit. Definitely. They got the extension done. Um, they paid him, you know, a, a pretty good amount, a hefty amount for good his money. Cons- considering his age. Good money, yeah. Um, I wonder how the injury is going to stack up. I don't know how that's going to impact his spring training and going forward. I, I know the surgery was done. I know they said that he will be ready for spring training. So I'm that's just assuming I I heard. that, you know, he'll be he'll begin rehab in December or something like that. Or, you know, January, get heavier into rehab. But should be good to go. Um, I mean, it's, we're not talking about uh, a joint injury or an arm injury. So that's at least the best thing about it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just kind of a, a weird situation for Charlie Morton, you know, cruising in game one and then of course the broken leg but i will say throwing the the next three batters and doing good i mean it wasn't like he just gave up a home run and just was absolutely crumbling he was pitching well just of course had one pitch that was very discomforting and that took him out of the ball game yeah i don't get how you can push off your, your i know, I know. A, a broken leg or yeah. even land on it i mean yeah. that just seems like it would just be a complete nightmare but guys just built different yeah so. he got it done in a big way so travis that wraps up starting pitching Let's move on to relief pitching. We both have three guys written down. This also, Travis, much like starting pitching, there's different ways you can go about it. Some guys ate up big innings and were super valuable in that way, and some guys were just like untouchable for a small amount of innings. So give me your three, and then I'll give you my three, and we can discuss. Okay, okay. So my three, um, and two guys, of course, on the same team. So uh, I'll have to go Tyler Matzik, um, obviously. He probably would be one of the best relievers I've seen in – postseason history uh but Tyler Matzik I'll go Will Smith for how locked down he was you know I usually like my closer to have a lot of strikeouts he did not have a lot of strikeouts he was a guy that based I think he might even had less strikeouts per innings pitch so basically a guy that doesn't even get doesn't even average one strikeout an inning um unlike guys like Hader who averaged you know two strikeouts an inning in the season but Will Smith was just locked down coming in whenever you needed him and not going to allow a run. You're, you don't want to put up runs, of course. That's how you win games in the postseason. That's how you win games in general. But Will Smith was my guy. Third guy on my list, very, very impressed with him, was Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen in the NLCS, even in the NLDS, you really can't get too much more lockdown than him. I mean, watching him come into some of those games and literally three up, three down, three strikeouts on the cutter, some of those times you really just couldn't – it was just hopeless. It was hopeless. And it was funny how Dave Roberts really did not use him in a lot of save situations. He had to put him in in the seventh or the eighth or even earlier. But whenever it was, Kenley Jansen would come in and close out the deal. So he, of course, is my third reliever. Those are my three relievers for the postseason. Travis, we have the same three. Very good. Yeah. So uh, I'm surprised you went with Jansen, but I'm glad you did. I completely agree. Um, seven pitch, seven innings pitched for him in the postseason from the wild card game through the CS. Did not allow any earned runs, which is you know huge. Only allowed three hits in his seven innings. Um, only walked one batter as well as one intentional walk, which that's not you know really his decision yeah. he's making. So, mm-hmm. um, and then six Ks in those seven innings. So he um you know was completely masterful. The one tiny small blemish was giving up an up the middle single to Rosario, of course, that was a bit too hot for, I believe, Corey Seager to handle. I just cannot blame uh, Kenley at all for the inherited run scoring in a walk-off fashion. You know, that just, it's not his fault that man was there. Obviously, it would have been that much more elite if he kind of limited the damage and didn't allow the walk-off to happen. But in terms of the batters he faced, he pretty much shut them down. 
Um, so he had to be on my team. And then Matzik and Smith were pretty much the story of the Braves bullpen. Minter deserves some consideration, but uh, one or two rocky outings kind of tanked some of the overall stats. Obviously, he ate up some big innings in a big way, but Matzik, obviously a legendary performance in the CS against the Dodgers, pretty much won them that game six um, without his performance. Mm-hmm. Definitely the Dodgers are scoring runs. I think they had, was it bases loaded? And I think they put him in with no outs or second and third. Second and third, second and third no outs. Three straight strikeouts on three right-handed hitters was just going... going. Snicker is not standing where he is today without that man. Yeah, Right. It really comes down to he stepped up at the biggest possible moment and came through in the biggest way. So he has to be on the list. He's on everyone's list if they have to pick three relievers. And then Will Smith, Travis, you did a pretty good job of summing it up. I think the way you talked about he didn't feel like he was super elite in terms of strikeouts. Um, I honestly think, you know, some of that... Sometimes, sometimes we said it earlier... They'll hit the ball, but it'll go right to a guy, and you'll just take that. So I think you know, you know, there might be some luck involved, some balls and play luck that happens. And at the end of the day, when you when you allow zero runs in a whole World Series run, and you have a ring at the end of the day, you got to be on the team. So he is on my uh, all postseason team. And Travis, that wraps up our whole starting team. Now we have to pick just an MVP of our postseason. Um, I'll go ahead and let you know mine. You can give me yours, and we'll discuss. And I'm surprised you didn't go uh, any any Luke Jackson in that reliever. Uh, no, yeah, know. Charles. I think you know pretty well that uh, <laughs> I'm not a big Luke Jackson guy. Uh, his ERA was very low in the regular season. Um, some of the advanced numbers don't like him at all. His FIP's pretty high. Um, I think you know he had a bit of a streaky, a bit of a lucky uh, regular season. I'd be happy for him to prove me wrong next year. Prove me wrong. But uh, against I- against the Dodgers, he had a bit of a meltdown. And Charles. T- tell me I'm wrong. They did kind of stop using him in the big moments. No. Today, did not use him once. They let, they'd rather see Matzik go two innings. Charis, the, 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 whole, the whole Braves thing early in the postseason and late in the regular season was they go Matzik seven, and they go with the righty, Luke Jackson, in eighth inning, and then Will Smith in the ninth. They abandoned that by the end. They said, Luke Matzik, you go seven and eight, or or maybe we'll throw Minter in. Exactly. Minter almost got promoted to fill the spot of Luke Jackson, I would say. And, and I was going to say that too. I mean, yeah, it, you know, good for him on winning the ring because you, you kind of felt bad for that NLCS, but definitely kind of came back in the World Series, had some good outings, but of course the leverage situations were not used for him, which of course I think Snicker really learned with Luke Jackson, putting him in maybe with a, with a four or five run lead, or if they're down, you know, putting him in as well. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Matzik was the guy for the Atlanta Braves, and I love how Snicker was like, you know what, you're gonna get two out, two innings. You're gonna get six outs. I'm gonna leave you in because you are the best guy and you are the hot hand. I think that's a, a lot of managers sometimes get away from that in the postseason. They want to go more lefty righty, be more, you know, kind of think about who's coming up to bat. But I love that Matzik was the guy, and righty or lefty, he's gonna strike you out. And we saw it today. He was absolutely incredible. That eighth inning struck out the Houston Astros side, and that right there was pretty much the nail in the coffin. I mean, you knew Will Smith was gonna come in. It's a seven nothing game. Even if he gives up a grand slam, you know they'll probably take him out and put someone else in. But you know, no, he 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 closed the door for sure. Exactly, but yeah, I, I, good point. You put all that all that stuff to Minter Matzik, uh, kind of the new Eminem boys. Uh, but just kind of a, a, a fantastic job for Matzik. I mean, he right there is definitely the highlighted guy in the reliever uh, portion. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, my MVP pick, Travis. I'll give mine. You give yours. We'll talk. Mine's Eddie Rosario. Okay. Um, the NLCS MVP. He just put on a complete show in the CS. Um, kept, you know, for the most part throughout the whole postseason, never had like a terrible slump. Um, I would say, 
almost you could almost have an argument if he did really bad in the World Series, there's still a case to say his CS was that good mm-hmm. that he deserves the nod still. Um, go ahead and give me yours, and, I'll, and then we'll go back and forth. Yeah, and my mine is you know the next best guy um, is Kike Hernandez for me. Oh, okay. Um, I was just insanely impressed for what he was able to do while he was able to step up in that uh, division series, and then of course in the championship series. You know, batting 400 this postseason, a 4.23 on base, uh, and an 8.37 slugging with a 1.260 OPS with five homers. Just really, I mean, just just kind of a freak show with what we saw, especially in that division series, how he really woke up. And then, of course, going into the, uh, you know, ALCS, I think he had a homer in the first game, and we were just like, this guy cannot be stopped. Um, kind of turning into that Randy, Rosar- or Randy Rosarena um, in – Last sure. year's in last year's playoffs, but yeah, for me, Kike Hernandez was the guy. Yeah, no, that's a good comp because he had the hits and he had the power, kind of comparable to Rosarena. Of course, you know, a big difference is that you know Randy obviously went to the World Series and you get those extra games played. It helps of a course, lot, of course. But, and Eddie went to the World Series as well, so yeah, know, it's gonna of course hurt. Maybe take down a little bit on the on the percentage stats, but of course the counting stats too will be elevated in that. But yeah, yeah. So I went with Rosario, another kind of kind of I guess medal I would give him. Uh, praise i'll give him is 18.8 percent championship win probability added in the nlcs that means he literally improved the odds of braves winning the world series by himself by over almost 19 percent in that's just the championship series so um the amount of impact he had you know base hits extra base hits home runs of course you can almost even throw in that fluke crazy grab he did to to prevent Altuve of a, at least a double. Um, if it misplays it, who knows? It could be a triple with his speed. But just, you know, that play almost in and of itself, you don't even think it was a big moment in the grand scheme of things. But if Altuve gets in scoring position right there in that inning, it could completely change that game and the rest of the series. So Definitely. Um, definitely. I went with Rosario. I like the Enrique, I like the Enrique Hernandez pick too. Um, so, Travis, that pretty much wraps up the whole segment on our, World Se- our postseason team. And our postseason MVP. Um, we also have one more segment planned for you folks. Uh, essentially, um, Travis, why don't, you, why don't you talk us through it? Yeah, so just kind of being a little creative. Um, you know, looking back, I, th- I actually thought this might actually go seven. So I was I was kind of jotting down. You know, let's let's kind of go through me and Alex's. You know, best seven games, uh, best seven games in a World Series in order. Um, so of course, not just picking like you know five game sixes and and two game sevens. We wanted to go. What was the best game one, game two, game three of the World Series? And this is only in the twenty first century. So over the last uh, you know twenty one years that we you know me and Alex really been paying attention to baseball. We could have went overall, but I I think we could have got really crazy. Yeah, Charles, I love the nineteen fifty one uh, game yeah, three. It was yeah. awesome. Or, or nineteen sixty. Uh, World Series Game 7 walk-off with Pirates and Yankees, you know, something something like that. We could have really got, you know, kind of down to the really ridiculous, and I, I think it would have just been kind of a hassle for us. But kind of remembering back the last 21 uh, World Series, uh, you know, years and just going off that. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you my um, top three. I know you kind of were rushed into this, so didn't, didn't yeah. wasn't able to get your games one, two, and three. But after that, on the fourth one, we'll start going back and forth, kind of sharing sure. those. So Sounds game good. one. For me, the best one, you know, kind of remembering back, I had to go back to 2004. So this was Red Sox-Cardinals. Right. And the Red Sox, the year they broke the curse. This game had 20 runs in it. 
Wow. The Red Sox ended up winning 11-9 to in this ballgame. And I think it, it's, it's honestly a really kind of insane moment in Red Sox history. Uh, basically, tie ballgame in the bottom of the eighth. And a guy by the name of Mark Bellhorn ends up hitting a two-run homer off of Pesky Pole. Hmm. And I, I watch this video in kind of recaps. And the way the ball thuds the pole, it, it just has a weird kind of... It's a it's a weird sound. I've never heard a ball hit a pole like that. I think they had a speaker on the pole, but the thud and then the, the just the whole crowd roar yeah, was just kind of an mm-hmm. insane moment as a baseball fan. So I had to go for that one for game one. There, of course, are other game ones that are really good, but I think that one was really awesome to see the Red Sox jump out on top, get the game one victory, kind of get the confidence up for the uh, Boston faithful in that year that they won and swept the Cardinals. So that one is my game one. Game two might hurt a couple of the viewers. Um, I had to go back to actually 2017 with Dodgers and Astros. Um, this one turned out to be somewhat, in my opinion, almost of a boring game. You know, up to the eighth inning, it, was, it wasn't it was really a, a fun game. I think right now you're looking at it, it was a 3-2 Dodgers lead going into the ninth. Ninth inning, Marvin Gonzalez hits the famous, I believe it might have been pinch hit home run at Dodger Stadium off Kenley, who Kenley at the time was absolutely insane in 2017. He honestly, I think, got some Cy Young votes. Really insane to see him blow a save uh, in that game. And then, of course, extra innings. That was just something else of, <laughs> something else I, I'd never seen before. Uh, starting in the 10th, you had a solo shot out of from Altuve and a solo shot from Carlos Correa, giving them a, a two-run lead. And you kind of felt, okay, Astros just are waking up right now. This series is over. Dodgers come back and score two in the 10th, they tie it. Then you go to the 11th, and Springer has the big two-run shot to give them a 7-5 lead. And then the 11th, Dodgers, of course, get a Charlie Culberson, Charlie Culberson uh, home run to make it 7-6, and you're like, oh my God, is this really going to go to a 7-7 ball game? Keep on going. Um, but, of course, Astros ended up winning that ball game. I just thought that was a really exciting ball game with that one, how it started out so little. And then of course the, the extra innings just got really, really crazy. So yeah, I love that pick for the, the back and forth nature and the extra innings. I remember watching that too. And yeah, 2017 was for, for many reasons, for multiple reasons, good and bad will be very memorable for a lot of baseball fans. And, but and that I, was definitely a moment where just, I think I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching. Exactly. And I'm sure we're not done with 2017 just about yet. So I think you're uh, right. <laughs> going to game three. Uh, and this one was honestly just kind of a, a lot of runs scored in this one as well. 23 runs in this one. This is game three of the 2011 world series between the Cardinals and the Rangers. This of course is the iconic Pujols three home run game, but just how the game started. It was a one run game in the first inning. And then of course, Cardinals just had an onslaught by the end of the fifth inning, Alex, it was Rangers six and Cardinals eight. So you really already had just a complete offensive, you know, juggernaut performances. And then of course, in the sixth and seventh inning, the Cardinals really broke away. And of course, with Pujols having the big two home runs to get the three home runs, something that no one had ever done before other than Reggie Jackson and Babe Ruth. So, uh, you know, tying those two in a World Series game, really, really impressive. Uh, you got to, you, you like to see offense. You like to see offense. That's what really makes a good game or at least a late inning heroic comeback by one team. But uh, 2011 game three, I thought that was one of the best game threes of the 21st century. Uh, game four, I'll start us off. For me, game four, go back all the way to 2001. So 2001 was Diamondbacks and New York Yankees. Uh, 
Arizona had a 2-1 lead on the Yankees, looking to capture a 3-1 lead. And this is the year, of course, the 9-11 attack. So kind of New York's are all rallying behind the Yankees. I feel like almost maybe America is rallying behind the Yankees. I don't remember too much. Wasn't really a baseball fan in 2001. Can't really remember anything. Um, but things, things were a bit of a blur when I, I, I really want to know what the poll was in America. Were people cheering for kind of the heated rival Yankees? They'd been so successful, but the, t- the city had been under attack literally a month and a half prior. Or were they going for the new kind of young team, the Arizona Dimebacks, who had a lot of young and cool guys? But... Uh, Essentially, this game went to the ninth inning, and the Diamondbacks were up 3-1, and a two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth with two outs by a guy named Tino Martinez, who ended up tying it and sending this one to extras. And then, of course, in the 10th, that's where the name Mr. November was given to Derek Jeter. This game was played on October 31st, ended on November 1st with a walk-off home run from Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter then became Mr. November from that moment. So really kind of just an iconic moment in, I think, New York Yankees history. Uh, and, of course, that World Series 1-7 was a great series. But, Alex, give me who you got for your Game 4. Yeah, my Game 4, different pick. Um, very recent, 2020, mm-hmm. uh, Game 4. It was just a game. I remember I was watching it in your backyard. Uh, it was it was just a unforgettable sort of um, some guy named Randy late game <laughs> performance by the Rays. Um, Dodgers got an early lead. They were up. Uh, it looks like five to two. Rays put up a three run inning in the sixth, and then um, the Dodgers worked their way up to a, a seven to six lead going into the bottom of the ninth. Um, of course, at a neutral site, but the Rays were home, so they had a chance to walk off. And just the way, Travis, that, um, you know, you're down by two. Sorry, you're down by one. You need two to win, one to tie. And you're, I think they ran out of pinch hitters. They had the pinch hit with their defensive, pretty much center fielder replacement guy. He was this guy who pretty much pinch ran and played defense in the outfield, uh, Brent Phillips. It was honestly just incredible to see the Rays come back um, in that game. The clutch hit by the, you know, defensive sub. And then, of course, Orozarena rounding third, slips and falls. Chris Taylor bobbles it in the outfield. Uh, the cutoff man is uh, Max Muncie, throws it away. It was just a kind of a wild ending. Orozarena's on the floor, crawling to the plate pretty much. Um, and then I think a lot of Dodger fans are, you know, very familiar with feeling upset at Kenley after a game like that. So. Um, and, and, and going back to that one, it was funny because everyone was also upset at Chris Taylor because they're saying, why, what, you know, you bobble the ball. Funny thing is, Bellinger was the one who hurt his shoulder after game seven of the NLCS on that celebration. And everyone was like, if that never happened, Bellinger's in center. He's one of the best defenders in Major League Baseball, sure. one of the best arms. Would have been him. And you just kind of look at some of those moments of Dodgers, you know, or, you know, just kind of curse little images and Bellinger getting hurt and, of course, putting. Taylor in that situation, just kind of a funny thing I remember from that from that whole entire situation. Yeah, and one thing that might weaken the moment a bit is, of course, Dodgers go on to win the series despite losing this game in the in the you know the walk off to the Rays. But um, Dodgers won in six anyways, twenty twenty champions that year. So, but I still think that one game of how crazy the ending was and how back and forth the whole game was. I remember Rays are winning by a little bit. Peterson hits a home run. The Rays kind of come back. It was just so, it was so back and forth that I I just. I will always remember watching that game. Um, of course, yeah. So 
Uh, game five, Travis, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Game five, uh, arguably for me, one of the best games I've seen in my entire life. Uh, probably one of the best games in the 21st century. That is going to be 2017 Dodgers at Astros. Uh, 25 runs scored in the entire game. A 12 to 13 victory from the Astros in 10. Um, Alex, I mean, we, we didn't watch this together, but we both watched it when we were both in college. And yeah. I mean, we just, we remember this game because it was back and forth, back and forth, huge moments, great calls by Joe Buck. Uh, and of course, great moments by some of the hitters on the Dodgers and the Astros. Um, some of the big moments I remember is of course, Dodgers getting out to a three, nothing lead, uh, series is tied two two. So it's really kind of Dodgers can go back up three, two. It looks that probably would give them the easy edge to win the world series or of course Astros can go up 3-2 back to LA but Dodgers take a big lead in the in the beginning 3-nothing and you have Kershaw on the mound you kind of feel very confident um but we remember that fourth inning uh where Yuli Gurriel had the huge clutch home run to uh really get the Astros going and that tied the game at 4-4 in the fourth then you look at the fifth inning you know big home runs from Cody Bellinger and also big home run right back from Jose Altuve. It was just kind of like you can do it but I can do it as well. And then of course going back more George Springer with the huge train track shot, Carlos Correa with just the sky high mile pop up that landed in the Crawford box. Did not think it was going out. And I, I was like okay it's probably you know going to be caught or a wall banger but it left the yard and I remember I think Twitter was just erupting on how stupid is this ballpark, you know, what is going on? Like, this is complete horse crap. Uh, and then, of course, you look at the Astros really take the lead. And I think uh, Brian McCann even had a late home run there that gave him like a 12-9 to uh, lead going into the top of the ninth. And you thought, okay, it's going to be an easy cruise victory. What a game. What a battle. No, the Dodgers scored three in the ninth to tie it. A home run by Puig and then a clutch, clutch base hit by Chris Taylor in that one. And it tied it at 12. And then you go to the 10th. Another moment for Kenley to kind of extend the game. Alex Bregman, the young rookie, walks off. Uh, I remember Derek Fisher. I remember it was funny because he was a famous Laker, and he was the one that scored the run. Now it's just kind of funny. A guy named Derek Fisher. Oh yeah. Uh, scores the winning run, um, and Ethier is the one in left making the throw that can't get him on time. But I, I mean, just a an insane game, Alex. Go ahead and give me yours. Yeah, it's the same game. Yeah. Obviously, it has to be the same <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah. You did you did a too good of a job of breaking it down. Um, so not a whole lot to add. But yeah, I I always remember watching the game. Of course. Uh, and it, you know, it'll always have the mysterious asterisks of, you know, obviously 2017 Astros mm-hmm. were cheating. Um, you know, there's so many details. I really wonder if we'll ever get to know the full scoop. But obviously, there'll, you, be, there'll be a documentary one year, you know. I really hope that Manfred's documents all get leaked somehow one yeah. day and the, the people can know. But um, obviously, using technology to some capacity, it will honestly, in, in the memory of most Dodger fans, I'm sure that they wish that they, you know, got the ring instead or something like that. But at the end of the day, I think it just kind of almost adds to the historicness of the game. Even if, you know, you say, oh, maybe it's a little bit unfair. At least you can say, in terms of a historical moment for baseball, it, it just it is a legendary game that will live forever in fame and infamy and, and, and all of the above. So um, for all the reasons you said, um, it was an all-time great game for sure. Had to be the best game five in, in World Series uh, of the whole of this, this century. Most definitely, and we'll go on now to Game Six, Alex. And do you want to start it off, or do you want me to let me start? Um, it off? yeah, go. I'll, I'll go ahead and start off Game okay. Six. Um, there's two real options in my mind. I yeah, think and I, 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 I 100% agree with that one. I, I yep. think we're both aware of the two options. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead 
and try not to be a homer, try not to be a two angels biased. I'll, I'll go with the. Tw- <laughs> and I appreciate that. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with the 2011 Texas Rangers versus St. Louis Cardinals. Um, it was really just an all-time moment. You will see those David Freeze triple and home run uh, to both tie the game and then to walk it off. You will see those moments playing in replays, highlight reels for the rest of your life. You just will. It was some of the most clutch at bats in postseason history happened in back-to-back plate appearances for David Freeze. It was just such a it's just a crazy game, all-time performance from him to force the game seven, which of course got the Cardinals a ring. So it just it makes it that much that much crazier. The fact that he had, I believe it was a two-strike, two-out situation, yep, yep, yep. hits a triple off a great closer that season in Neftali Feliz, I believe. And just the, the, the way that the way that, that the way that the Texas Rangers were so close to winning and still don't have a title, it's just it just must it must hurt so bad. But it, exactly. But the freeze clutchness, um, of course, Pools had a good series himself. Um, but that game six, of course, uh, it just it'll, it'll just live on forever. I feel like so. Travis, give me your six, and we'll and I'll and I'll piggyback off that one because in my opinion too, that game six is probably one of the top threes of, of mine all time. You know, it, I mean, you look at like you said, David Freeze, two strikes, two outs, Rangers, a strike away. Natalie Fleas at the time was one of the best closers in the game. We back we remember back from twenty eleven. Uh, David Freeze hits the ball to the warning track. Nelson Cruz. Just kind of if, a, a, if you a, just if you just played it off the wall, Travis. If you oh, just played it off the wall, <laughs> exactly a weird blunder from Nelson Cruz. Honestly, most managers, of course, you'll see now in the ninth inning, they'll go with their best defenders. If they don't, if they don't feel confident in a guy, they won't leave him out there. So Nelson Cruz, of course, with the big play, David David Freeze gets the triple, and then the next inning, Josh Hamilton two run homer, and you kind of feel okay. The Rangers are the strong team. The, the pretty much the guy who has the team on the back the last three four years Josh Hamilton gets the big hit uh and then of course Cardinals find us some way to rally back one moment in that game is Lance Berkman Lance Berkman again two strikes two outs they're down he comes up with a huge single that scores the runs to get them to tie and then of course the walk off or freeze in the next inning um, we will see you tomorrow night. I mean, I mean, yeah. You will, in my opinion, you'll see that in in my highlight reel forever. So definitely, that would be an exciting game. But game six, of course, had to go with the uh, probably the most iconic moment in Angel fans history. Game six of the two thousand two World Series uh, in Anaheim, down three two in the series, and down five nothing in the bottom of the seventh. You have about. Uh, I would say eight outs left before the Giants are crowned champions, and I, I think they end. They, they were going to end a 50-year World Series drought since they moved from New York. They had never won a World Series championship, and Bonds was going to get his first. The best player was going to get his first uh, ring, and so the Angels, of course, keep on rallying. Uh, you know, I remember watching uh, so many highlight reels on this. You know, I probably watched probably over a hundred highlight reels on this on this game. You know, the Angels have the rally monkey. They put it on the jumbotron. You know, Angel Stadium goes into kind of a frenzy. Uh, Scott Spezio, one of the best, you know, hits in Angels history, hits the three-run home run uh, in the seventh. We go to the eighth. That's when you bring in uh, one of the best young relief pitchers in uh, Francisco Rodriguez, has a great outing. And then, of course, the eighth inning, you have a leadoff home run from Darren Erstad. You get a couple guys on. You get a couple pinch runners. And Troy Gloss has the huge double to bring in. Uh, two runs to give him a 6-5 lead, scoring six runs in two innings. And then, of course, bringing in Troy Percival. The Angels probably the best closer of all time. And he pretty much gets a three-out save to lock down the win and force a Game 7 
Um, I, I tweeted something earlier today, uh, basically just kind of being funny on Twitter and just saying, you know, I wonder, I wonder when the last time a team, you know, down three two was down by six. It was six nothing Braves, but it was down six or more or five or more runs and came back to win the game. But I don't think anyone got it or liked it, so I just <laughs> got, took a hard L on that one. Sorry, Charles, I would have liked it. I didn't yeah, see that one. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I, I uh, but it was just you know looking at that moment and you look at the seventh inning and. You just kind of are, are, I mean, you just don't know how many more times you're going to see a comeback like that, especially in a game six. You are down 3-2. You're not up 3-2. You're down 3-2, and you're fighting for your lives. And, of course, at the time, um, one of the best uh, closures in the game was Rob Nen coming out for the Giants. And he was kind of like the, I would say, honestly, he was probably like the Josh Hader nowadays, just a great guy with good strikeout stuff. Uh, and Angels were able to get them. That you kind of need those rare freak moments to happen for you to win a World Series. Almost every team will have a, a, that kind of moment. So yeah, they, um, they, you're completely right. They got to that's that's the guy the Giants wanted on the mound exactly. with the chance to win the World Series. And the Angels had the clutch at bats. We talk about it a bunch of times, Travis, but there was some funny misplays by Bonds in left field, definitely yeah. um, defensively. That you know you, you almost think about it, Travis. They're playing at Angel Stadium. The DH is in effect. Mm-hmm. Bonds is still playing left instead of DHing. Pretty crazy. He's, pretty crazy. He's getting up there in age pretty slow. A ball gets down in front of him that allows a first to third situation. And then, of course, the gapper that you know scores the go-ahead runs uh, gets just out of reach of his glove. So, um, you know, that moment, that, that game will... Not live in our memory because we weren't, you know, really that self-aware in two thousand two. But yeah, um, those highlights um, will always be super memorable for us. I'm glad that we picked different game sixes because both those games deserve discussion. I was gonna say we definitely need to talk about both because, in my opinion, they are both top three insane comebacks for both teams. Uh, and that's really where you know, kind of the pain for Dusty Baker started. That's I, I, another tweet I sent out today. You know, Dusty Baker's own two with teams with an A on their cap. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Just kind of another, you know, cool tweet to look at. But, uh, I mean, sad follow, for... F- follow Travis Miller, folks. Exactly. Sad sad for Dusty, but, you know, just kind of a, a funky little thing to, you know, fact to look at. But, Alex, let's go to Game 7. The best two words in sports, no matter what sport you look at. Game seven's always kind of... What if you watch soccer? I mean, that's... <laughs> you can kidding. do that. Or, or even football. But, you know, hockey, basketball, baseball, they're always always... That's, that's the Comple- drama. Completely agree. Everybody is on their last... Win or go of, home. They're on their last bar of energy, and they're putting all their energy and emotions out in the field. But Game 7, Alex, who do you got? Uh, what year? What series? It has to be 2016, Cubs-Indians. Perfect. Not much. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like, when it came to 5-6-7 for me, I just put them down. I, ended, easy, I, did, yeah. I didn't even right. have to, like, look at other You're games. Right. I right. knew Game 6, Angels, was, like, a really big deal personally, but I think just in terms of memorability for the greater baseball fan base – those were just five, six, seven, like boom, boom, boom. So game seven, of course, had to be 20, uh, 2016, of course. Uh, the back and forth nature of the game. The fact that, of course, everyone remembers the Raji Davis home run. You almost think that they just kind of flipped the script and that the tide had turned. But then, of course, the extra innings, the Zobrist hit. It, it just, rewatching the game, so many memorable names that are now on different teams that they played such a big part in that game and just the whole series. You know, of course, Earl Chapman being involved. I feel like when I think of Rollis Chapman now, I think of, you know, Yankees, maybe a little bit of uh, when he was a really great young uh, pitcher for the, for the Reds. But yeah. the, the Cubs was a super Im- uh, important, you know, chapter in, in his career because yeah. of how important that series was for the game. Uh, of course, I think that 2016 Cubs team, 
you almost could say that they definitely deserved to get a ring. They're so talented. Definitely. Such a special team that, of course, this season, Travis is unfortunately completely disbanded. You know, almost both teams. <laughs> you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Five years later, and they're both just completely just they've been both, taken for scraps and parts. Yeah. Both teams more or less in yeah kind of sell for parts mode and uh, trying to rebuild and uh, yeah. But what a memorable game seven, uh, the best day in Cubs history for Cubs fans of all time. Of course, breaking uh, such a massive curse. Theo Epstein, just what a genius. But, Travis, go ahead and give me – I know which game you picked. Yeah, so just I mean, go it's, it's going to be an it. easy retweet for me. But, um, I mean, one thing when this series started, I was telling some buddies from college, I was like, man, this is this is going to be an epic World Series because you literally have two teams that have these 80-plus World Series droughts. Or I, I don't know how long it was for for Cleveland. I think they haven't won since it was, 1949. It was definitely over 50 years. Exactly. Yeah, over 60 so years probably. You're almost looking at over 70 years of uh, of World Series drought. And I was just like, man, this is an awesome one. You couldn't script this any better. If you go back to 2003, you'd be looking at a Red Sox-Cubs possible one. But that wasn't the outcome. It was a yankees Marlins. Mm. Um, crazy how both those teams blew leads. And they could have had a crazy, you know... You have the Chicago Billy Goat and also the Babe Ruth curse. It probably would have been some really funny uh, nickname for that series, they like the, the Billy probably. Babe Ruth Goat uh, World <laughs> Series. But, but um, that was the first input. Is these both these teams are going to be so high on emotions? Both these teams have had so much just just depression in the past 50, 60, 70 years that it's going to be great for one of these teams. And it was just funny to see in the eighth the what happened with Rajay Davis. And Cubs fans, I think just knew, I think every Cubs fan in the stadium in America in the world would have said it's over. It, the, I mean, curse. We, we, the curse is real. We are gonna get cursed. And in baseball, you really can't just show up to the next year of the World Series and and think you're gonna win it. Um, it, it takes a lot for a team to kind of go to back back World Series. So having the Cubs overcome that, and you know, it's really funny is there was a like 40 minute rain delay. And right. I remember it was it, it, people were really thinking, oh God, like this is gonna come play in two hours. Who who's gonna be on the mound? Who's ready to go? Who's warm? Who's cold? Who what guys have already been used? It was it was just kind of a disaster because you're thinking, oh my God, like how long is this rain delay? Could it be an eight hour rain delay? Could we pick this thing up in the morning? And this would just be how the Cubs lose. But ended up only having about a forty minute rain delay, and then of course Chicago struck early. Uh, with two in the 10th, a huge, huge hit from Ben Zobrist. Um, and almost, an almost Cleveland Indians comeback to tie it at least. Uh, but that play by Chris Bryant will ever forever be remembered in, in, in Cubs, uh, you know, Cubs memory. One thing is, of course, the slip. That was always a scary look because you saw that ball kind of leave his hand and start going higher and higher and higher. And you're like, is Rizzo going to catch this? Is this going to be overthrown to Rizzo? And the runner that was on first base could he be going to third and maybe a pass ball can get him home for some stupid rule like that? Um, just a while, ju- just, just a roller coaster game. Yeah. And it's just funny kind of seeing the, the pitchers breakdown. Kyle Hendricks opened the game for the Cubs. Then in came John Lester. So they kind of went, you know, starting pitcher, just, you know, all hands on deck kind of mode. Then Chapman gets a, both a blown save and a win, which is just crazy. Yeah. Pretty rare. And then, yeah, it, it just goes on. Uh, you know, the Indians, of course, had uh, Kluber, who that was probably just apex, just peak Kluber 
domination. Uh, he gave up a leadoff homer to Dexter Fowler, which was just kind of a rare right. You, you saw start to the game. Yeah, you saw a pitcher who looked so dominant just end up coming into the biggest game and getting uh, they got to him early. Yeah, and then Andrew Miller was just uh, you know that was also prime Andrew Miller at that point. In and time, he also came with I think a, a couple bad innings where you were really wondering the Cubs have just seen Kluber and Andrew Miller so much that the the effectiveness is wearing away. Um, and you know we have to get some new arms out there. So, uh, and Charles, I didn't yeah. even, I didn't even realize this. I mean, I'm sure I knew it and I just forgot. But the last the last uh, two thirds of innings thrown by Indians pitchers was by Trevor Bauer, which was just top of the tenth, I guess. It's crazy, just, it's just crazy. kind of funny. Crazy that and crazy that Mike Montgomery got the save and Carl Edwards Jr. was also in it in the tenth inning. Um, just kind of I feel like no namers that will always be remembered. You know. Uh, that won't be remembered, but will get the save for the game. So Mike Montgomery, of course, will have that forever that he got the save in Game Seven to mm-hmm. give the Chicago White or Chicago Cubs the uh, the World Series victory. Yeah, and Charles, looking at some of the rosters on on these teams, it's just so funny. Like Mike Napoli was cleanup hitting for the Indians. I just it just you completely forget about these kind of chappers in these guys' careers, but you go back and look at the record books, and uh, you know there it all is. But yeah. It was an easy pick for Game 7. I think Easily. both of us agree. And it, it, kind of funny because you, you, maybe every five years or so you get a Game 7. Um, or, you know, it's, it doesn't, of course, it's not guaranteed every single year. Um, the last one, of course, being 2019 with the uh, Astros and the Nationals. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I, I want. I really wonder, you know, looking back how many Game 7s there were in the 21st century. There's probably maybe even like seven or six or something yeah like there's, that. there's but a pretty good handful there's still a good handful but there's of course you, you don't you're, you're, you're going to get of course one through four is automatic but you know you're going to get probably 80 to 90 percent are game fives you're not going to see too many sweeps at all game sixes are kind of almost a guarantee and then game sevens of course if it's a really it's a treat match. for fans um but looking back at this series too indians blew a three one three one lead they could have ended this thing in chicago uh in game five but of course went back to cleveland game six i remember was a complete just slaughter fest by the Cubs. I think they even scored like seven or so runs, um, seven runs through the first three innings, uh, just kind of a beat down by the Cubs in that game. And um, and Jake Arrieta got the win in that one as well. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> game seven was pretty easy. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we, you know, glad we agree there. Um, that's our full list, folks. That's our games one through game seven. Best game of each game uh, thing we just played. And Travis, that pretty much wraps up not only the 2021 postseason, but our whole 2021 first season of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. So I know, we're going to go on a, uh, a four-month break now. No, I'm just no, kidding. No. Uh, the, I think, honestly, one of the most interesting parts of the year in baseball is some of the crazy stuff that happens in the offseason. Exactly. It really is going to allow us to kind of see how these teams are gearing up for 2022. Because, Travis, the Braves won. They get to celebrate. But everyone else now, they know it's time to go to work. Exactly. Because the front offices are, you know, I think one thing every front office should learn from what the Braves just did was you shouldn't count yourself out, make the smart moves at the right times, and things can still go your way. At the end of the day, the Braves were an 88-win team. Everyone kind of counted them out going into the postseason. But their smart moves paved the way to them getting a World Series ring. So every team should be taking notes on some of the moves that they made and the off season starts now, folks. So, and that's a good point you put it out. You put out there as well. You know, twenty nineteen. You look back at the Nationals. I think they started what, like twenty four and thirty eight or something like that. It something would be, brutal. It, it was a brutal start. Same thing with the Braves. They were not a five hundred team until I think it was early August. So you look at that, and you almost look at most teams who are going to be five hundred next year. 
around August 1st, you could be that team that makes that significant move to get a couple good bats, a couple good pieces, even and when put your together. best, even when your best players are injured. Exactly, which Travis is something Angel fans know a lot about. We had Mike Trout out the whole season, and at the deadline, practically, we yeah. were hoping we would be buyers, but we knew realistically we probably would be somewhere in the middle. Exactly. Um, the Braves took a leap of faith, and it paid off big time. Exactly. So Travis, now it's the off season. Tons of content coming up free agent stuff, you know, already Travis, a managerial hire. We'll get to that next week. You know, yeah. Bob Melvin will be the Padres coach for next season, which is, in my mind, a huge deal. We'll cover that, you know, like I said, next week. Free agency, uh, of course, um, all these position players and pitchers are going through arbitration, which is a, a huge deal. And then eventually we were going to get to the, you know, the ramp up of um, post-winter meetings, you know, lots of great content for, you know, ranking position players, ranking pitchers, um, and yeah, the train's gonna keep on rolling, folks. So definitely, definitely. And also getting into, I know, even giving some more highlights on the off season, getting into like January, we're gonna have a very good controversial uh, Hall of Fame ballot discussion. Absolutely, a huge year you got because you, of course, have the final year for Bonds, Clemens, some of these, some of these goats who put up insane seasons. But do they deserve the credit to be a Hall of Famer with all the baggage that kind of came with them? And then, of course, the new guys on the ballot that, of course, are being you know critiqued right now as well. Uh, they'll be releasing some of those votes come mid-January to see really what we're going to have. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think as an Angels fan, the, the season ends August 1st for us. Yeah. And then the season begins November 1st for us. So it's, it's kind of a sad life if, if you look the past couple of years. Um, you know, and also some of the other teams, you know, like the Mets, I feel like are definitely a team, even like the, the Padres too, really figuring out, how you can get that your team to the next level to make the playoffs because a lot of these teams they were right there they were playing great baseball till August till September but you got to play the whole 162 games uh, and yeah it's a marathon not a sprint so uh, gonna be gonna be a fun off season I, I'm 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 really sure of it yeah I completely agree um, in the next month or so there's gonna be tons of extensions you know people are gonna start signing making arbitration deals we're gonna be here to cover every step of the way this off season folks so. Uh, if you made it through our first season of the Two Tools podcast, we thank you so much for coming on this ride with us. And from here on out, we'll be covering the 2022 off season and eventually the 2022 season next year for you folks. So if you made it this far, long episode again, but thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. Follow us on Spotify. Shout us out. You know, we appreciate all the love and we will talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast.